You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The car feature with Nicole Lowe. So this afternoon, it's our once a month appointment with our technical specialist. He's the former technical editor for Car Magazine. That's the one and only Nicole Lowe. And um, he's at hand to uh, give you car advice, whatever technical problems you may be having. Um, He's been with us for a couple of years and once a month, Nicole joins us to unpack the workings and, you know, an area of interest in the workings of the car on one hand and also answer your questions if you have any technical problems. 011 3102 for your SMSs and then we've got your WhatsApps and your voice notes on 0727021702. Hi Nicole, happy August to you. Hi Azania, happy Women's Month to you. Thank you. Um, so today we want to talk about engine speed. Um, what does the figure on the rev count mean and is that is that the correct indicator of engine speed? Yes, Azania. So we all look at the reef counter in front of us and we see that red line in the end and we know we shouldn't go there. And what does it actually mean? So the petrol heads will know. But let's just uh, take a step back and just talk about it. So engine revolutions is actually measured at the output shaft of the engine. So internal combustion engine consists of a crankshaft, which has got connecting rods and pistons. Uh, and that uh, crankshaft goes around and around and around as the strokes of a four-stroke engine or two-stroke engine, whichever engine you're using, mm. um, uh, propels it. And then that output shaft speed is measured. So when you look at your rev counter and you see it idles at a 1,000 RPM, it means it turns uh, around or it completes a full turn a 1,000 times every minute at mm. idle. So you can imagine the speed of that piston and conrods when you get to like 6,000 RPMs, wow. huge forces that goes into the engine. But then the question is then, if we look at diesel engines and petrol engines, the guys driving diesels, if they look at their rev counters, they will really see that the rate line will be, normally it's about between 4,000 and 5,000 RPM. You won't see any higher engine speeds. Mm. Would, would you know, Azania, why a diesel engine doesn't rev as high as a petrol engine? Why, Nicole? So the, the answer to that is the diesel combustion process is different to a petrol combustion process. Diesel is injected, and it's the pressure and the temperature that makes the fuel self-ignite. Mm-hmm. That takes an infinite amount of time, and that's the reason why a diesel engine cannot actually rev higher than about 5,000 RPM. Well, it's not efficient anymore. The, the burn is not efficient because there's not enough time. When it comes to a petrol engine or spark ignition engine, the burn is much faster. Mm. So when it ignites the fuel with a spark, it actually burns much faster. And then you can actually have higher engine RPM with still with an efficient burn. So especially with supercars, if we look at supercar engines, with petrol engines, you can easily go up to eight, 9,000 RPM. Wow. If we look at motorcycle petrol engines, they go up to about 14,000, 15,000 RPM sometimes. So that's, a, that's the difference. But then and, and we, let's talk about other engines. So you also get rotary engines or the Vanco engine. The people, uh, they love their masters, the, the RX-7, RX-8, or the latest, uh, last one that got sold in South Africa was a rotary engine. That also shows engine RPM rate line of about 9,000 RPM, but the rotary engine doesn't have pistons. Mm. Uh, it has this, this rotary disc that looks like a triangle and moves around the shaft, 
And that's got a 3 to 1 ratio on it. So the output shaft may show 3,000 RPM, but the rotor itself only turns then at about 3,000 RPM. So don't get fooled by the 9,000 RPM. Uh. It's the output shaft, it's not the rotor. But the last question I have for you today is electric motors. How fast can they spin up in, in these electric cars that we, we get offered these days? Oh, I've, I, I was saying that we need to, to better understand how electric motors work, considering how many electric cars are going to be coming into the market in the future. So how many does it, what is the maximum? Yeah, so the electric motor is quite, uh, it's a simple um I mean, if you look at it, it's almost like a, a power drill, but obviously oh. much larger, much more powerful than, uh, than a power drill, but an electric vehicle. So it's got a, a, a rotor element, but there's no connecting rods, no pistons, and a stator element on the outside. So for an electric motor to spin up at high speed is actually quite easy because mm-hmm. there's, there's no pistons that need to go up and down mm-hmm. or connecting rods or anything. So you'll also find with electric uh, vehicles that there's normally only one speed as well that take you from... Um, stationary up to the maximum speed. There's no no reason to change gears because that electric motor can spin up all the way. So most of the electric uh, motors that's available on our market today, if you look at from the BMW i3s up to the i-paces to the Porsche Taycans, they can spin up anywhere between 12,000 to 18,000 RPM, which means that you can, from zero speed up to 18,000 RPM will give you your maximum speed and you don't need a gearbox anymore. Um, there's also other reasons like instant torque at zero RPM, but just interesting that uh, yeah, electric motors can spin at a very high speed. Mm, and yet uh, it comes across as so effortless. Exactly. As I said, there's a rotor and there's a stator, there's an air gap between them, there's no up and down movement of an internal combustion engine. So it's fairly simple for that motor to spin at that high speeds. Um, so yeah, I think electric motors will see in the future, they will be the, the kings of when it comes to high RPMs. Mm. <laughs> okay, they'll be the kings in this terrain. Let's take a break and then after this, we're coming to the line straight to your calls. Um, if you want to talk about engine speed, Nicole is at hand as he's just unpacked, uh, how that engine speed and what the rev count means and the difference between a diesel engine and a petrol engine on rev counts and of course electric vehicles. I think if you've been listening to this uh, feature long enough, you know how excited I am about electric cars. Um, got to drive an i3 some time back and it's just such a, a sublime experience um, but what questions do you have this afternoon though the technical sort calls on zero one one eight eight three oh seven oh two is it a sound is it a noise it is a, is it a smell um, or is it just something that's stubborn to come right and to get fixed in your car zero one one eight eight three oh seven oh two 702. The car feature with Nicole Lowe. It's 14 minutes to 3. Let's go straight to the lines. Um in Orchards, you having an issue with your engine. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, yes. I've got an engine still with my engine. Yeah. When I put it on, on, on my car to, to go to gear one and gear two, it struggles. It only flows smooth when it's on three, four, five, and six. And this has been going on for about two weeks now. I don't know what your problem is. Yeah, so only those two gears, uh, up and down, yes, both yeah, ways. It's like yeah, it can't go through, through, through uh, until you you finish the change, but it must change after every yeah, much quicker than it, it used to be in the beginning. Yeah. Right. Any questions, Nicole? Yes. What vehicle are we talking about? Is it manual transmission, automatic transmission? It's, it's, it's a manual transmission. It's a fourth range, two by two, 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 two by two. 
Ford Ranger. Mm-hmm. So you say it's losing power in the first two gears and it's only fine from third gear onwards, I'm understanding correctly. Yes, it's losing power from the second gear. Yeah, that that's a very strange one for me, actually. Um, I would have thought if there's a engine problem that would affect all gears, you shouldn't um, have no problems in uh, third gear onwards if you struggle in first and second. So it is possible that it's electronic gremlin that's uh, that's uh, in there. So I would I would uh, propose take the vehicle for a diagnostic check so they can read the codes on the the engine ECU itself. It might even be something as the a wheel speed sensor that's not picking up. So it's maybe throwing the ABS uh, unit uh, some fault codes, and then it uh, limits the power maybe in the first two gears because it doesn't know what's going on. But it's it's a very strange one for me. It's not an easy one to diagnose. That's why I say try take it for a diagnostic check first. Mm. Bongseni, uh, uh, sorry, Bongseni, were you saying that it's hard to engage or to get into those gears? No, it doesn't go to the one and oh, okay. But it's like it doesn't go full screen, so it is much, uh, much quicker than it used to be in the past. Right, so, and then right. There's, 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 so it is there's, power. There's a lamp that shows on the class car. That lamp that has Google to say the translation gearbox. But mine is not a, it's, it's not a it's not automatic one. It's a manual. It's a manual. So that's what is strange to yeah. All right. No, thank you for that, Mbongini. As Nicole suggests that it needs uh, a diagnostic, maybe it is the wheel speed uh, sensor not communicating as it should to give you that power. We've got Hussein in Rand Park Ridge next. Hi, Hussein. Hi. Yes. I just want to ask, Nicole, there is still space available for a Mercedes SLK 2000 model in South Africa. Spares. All right, Nicole. Sorry, just repeat that question. The SLK uh, in South Africa, what are you looking for? Spares. Um, any particular spares, spares Hussein, or just you mean generally? Just generally. Just generally, okay. Okay, so um, a year 2000 model year car, you shouldn't struggle too mm-hmm. much for spares, especially with Mercedes. So, I mean, it's the first point of call uh, will be the Mercedes dealership, obviously. If you don't get right there, the second point port of call will be a Mercedes specialist. I don't know where you're located, but in your area should be a Mercedes specialist that work only on Mercedes's, but you should be able to know where to source parts. And then um, finally, the internet is wonderful for sourcing for parts. So searching for parts on the internet, see where it's available. I've had instances where you had to import parts actually from Europe, which you can't find in South Africa if it's really a special special part that's not really uh, kept here. But as I say, 2,000-year Mercedes SLK, you should be able to find everything mm-hmm. in South Africa. Um, what you can also do is f- uh, find the Mercedes Club in your area. That's also something you can do on Facebook or online. And uh, normally when there's a club of enthusiasts together, they know where to find these parts that are in strange places. Yeah. So that would be my, my, my proposal. Yeah, it would be a good idea even in the long run as the car gets older. Hussein, thank you very much. Uh, out in Rand Park Ridge. Let's go to Benmore next with me, Boni. Hi, I'm with Boni. Hello. Hi. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, my car's engine was replaced. And I, um, it seems... Um, more sluggish and it's heavier on fuel uh, so is that normal for a new engine and like how long will it take to wear in or is that abnormal or yeah, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Nicole? 
Yeah, so just a question. Uh, engine replacement, was it replaced by a brand new engine at a dealership? Which vehicle are we talking about? And uh, the in other engine failure, was it just a failure or was it a high mileage or what, what went wrong? No, they picked up a fault and um, mm. Mercedes-Benz themselves changed. It's an ML350 and they changed the engine. But since then, um, the performance just, not yeah, isn't, mm. it's not the same. And I thought because it's a new engine, I expected more efficiency. Uh, but in fact, the fuel um, consumption seems to be higher. Hmm. Okay, so in general, if you replace a vehicle's engine with a brand new engine, you would expect the fuel economy to at least be the same uh, than the old engine, or even better, as you mentioned, if it was a high mileage engine, um, then it's quite uh, normal that a new engine will be uh, more efficient. Um, the braking period of a new engine, that used to be the case with older engines, but with modern engines, uh, the tolerance is also good that the braking period is really, I mean, if it's a 1,000 kilometers, that's a lot. After a 1,000 kilometers, you expect a new engine to perform as it should, as it was designed to. Um, the problem with measuring fuel consumption on the road is that it's not scientific. So it all depends on what was the conditions like when you had your old engine. Was it uh, maybe hotter climate, colder climate? Um, so you, you have to average all these, these factors out. To know. So there's no, there's no scientific way on the road really to measure fuel consumption. Um, one thing that you can do maybe is uh, if you're used to a much lower fuel consumption, see if you drive on the motorway, say zero the fuel consumption readout, go on the motorway, drive at 100 kilometers per hour, steady state speed, even switch the aircon off. That would be the ideal condition for that engine to give you a good fuel consumption. So if it's not even delivering a great fuel consumption figure at that sort of condition, then you know something is wrong. So it might be, again, maybe a diagnostic check is needed. Maybe one of the sensors weren't connected when they did the engine replacement. We're thinking of uh, sensors like your mass uh, airflow sensor, all those kind of sensors. But if it's not connected, it should also give you a message on the interim cluster. So in that case, it's strange that, it wouldn't, that the diagnostics of the vehicle wouldn't pick it up. But I would say do the fuel consumption test yourself just to prove that okay. the engine can actually be fuel efficient. That's not your driving style. And uh, secondly, maybe a diagnostic check is needed. Right. Muponi, there you go. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Reginald, you're in Pretoria. You have a Ford Ranger. What issues are you having? Hi. Hi, yeah, Nicole. Yeah, so I'm driving a Ford Ranger 2.2C base diesel, long mm. base. Yeah, so what I've noticed lately is that if I, for instance, go to a fuel station and I refill, so it had maybe 20 k's to go before empty, then I'll pour like 500. But it would not change the, you know, kilometers. Yeah. It would still say 20. Then I'll drive, then as soon as it goes to zero, then it starts gasping. Yet I've just filled in like 500 or so of diesel. But at times I can just go in 400 trend, then it's fine. So I really don't know. But my experience is I also used to own a Ford Figo years ago. It used to be the same, but it did not gasp, even if it doesn't change the remaining kilometers after refueling. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I'll listen on the radio if maybe. Any questions, Nicole, before we let him go? Yeah, so just a question. So if you say you fuel the car um, with uh, 500 rands, then the fuel gauge is still showing that there's only 20 yeah. kilometers to go. Yeah. It doesn't increase. Yeah. And then the and vehicle then starts drive, almost like running out of fuel. Mm. Mm. 
Mm. Then I'm fine. Then if let's say if I had 20 kilometers to go, then it will go to zero after some time. Then it will start gasping as if now it's about to. There's no longer you know fuel in the car. Mm. Yeah. If I just poured like 500. 500. Sure. Okay. Yes. Okay, so what it sounds like is uh, there's obviously the, the mechanism in the tank that measures the fuel level, and it almost it, it's a float-based system. So it's a float that, that um, floats on top of the fuel level that rises up a, a sensor that can then measure the, the fuel level. It sounds like that sensor is actually sticking at the bottom when you get to empty, and even though you fill the, the fuel tank, that float is not moving up on the sensor, so it's not actually sending the correct information to your instrument cluster. You can almost think about it as the the float on the back of the the toilet. If you Mm. open the toilet, you also see there's a float mechanism that stops the flow of water when it arises. Similar kind of concept on the sensor that's in the tank. So my my um my I would think that sensor is is not rising. So there's something wrong with that sensor. Either sticking, um, or you just need to replace that sensor. But just out of interest, like the reason why you feel that the engine is running out of fuel, that that jerking feeling that you get in a car when you run out of fuel, modern diesel engines are programmed on the ECU. When the fuel runs out, it actually simulates you running out of fuel without really running out of fuel because it wants to keep uh, some fuel in the system. You don't want to run a diesel engine out of fuel completely because your diesel pump and all that needs the fuel as lubrication. So it's a strategy that is sort of, we, they call it a run-dry strategy that fakes you running out of fuel because the, it's reading zero fuel on the instrument cluster. So with that feeling of running out of fuel is actually a fake feeling just to protect the, the, the whole fuel system. But uh, as you mentioned, you actually got fuel in the tank. Mm. It's just that sensor that's not rising up with a level and it's probably stuck at zero. Mm. Uh, Reginald, there you have it. On to our final caller, Pumelelo in Boxburg. Hi, Pumelelo. Hi, uh, hi, Aza. Hi. Uh, I drive a Ford Fiesta um, PowerShift 1.0 2014. Mm. And uh, when I went to, it was giving me problems. There was no power with the car. So when I got it diagnosed, they told me it is my oxygen sensor mm. and my catalytic converter, yeah, something like that, that needs to be replaced. And it's very expensive. So I just want to know, could that be the reason why my car is lacking power? Okay. Thank you. I'll listen on the radio. Is the diagnosis correct? Is what Pamela wants to know. Yes. So the O2 sensor sits in your exhaust, and the, the, the reason why it's there is for emission controls. You mentioned the catalytic converter. So it needs to control the air fuel mixture to your engine very carefully to be at what we call lambda 1, is 14 to 1 stoichiometry ratio for air fuel. If it's at that ratio, then the emissions is at a minimum and a catalytic converter can do its job. So when that O2 sensor fails, it doesn't know, the engine unit, uh, engine control unit doesn't know what the air fuel ratio is and has to guess. And some of the vehicles will actually go in what we call a limpo mode to protect the engine. In that case, it will limit power. Um, so it's quite possible that in this case, that sensor has failed um, the ECU doesn't know the air fuel ratio and it's actually limiting the power of the engine just for self-protection. So it is quite possible. I know um, those sensors are quite costly. You're talking about a couple of thousand rand for one mm-hmm. of these O2 sensors. The catalytic converter is, is a lot more expensive than that. So you don't want to um, continue driving the car with a faulty O2 sensor because you will, you will damage the catalytic converter eventually as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if the vehicle is out of warranty, I would say take it to a Ford specialist. 
because they would know where to get uh, some of these O2 centers that are not really that expensive or a better price than at the dealership. Because they, they normally like a Bosch sensor or something. If you have the path number, you can source mm-hmm. it for a better price than at the dealership. And there's other ways and means to fix those issues as well, which a specialist know. But that's that's what my, my opinion would be. Mm, yeah, so Pumela Lode uh, on the right track. Nicole, thank you very much. Thanks for all of the advice. Thanks, Azania. That is our once a month obligation and duty with Nicole to uh, bring you his assistance once a month as he helps with uh, any technical problems you're having with your car.